2: Bear down, baby. Yeah, Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hahn.
1: I want to remind people there is no award for. Coming to the conclusion fastest on a quarterback in your football city. Nobody remembers, and frankly, nobody cares.
2: And Dan Weeder, Particularly in
0: this town, we start to get the extremes trying to outshout each other, right? Those who think that he's a bust are trying to outshout those who think that he's going to be an absolute seven-time All-Pro.
1: We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to Take the North, the podcast that covers all things Chicago Bears. I'm David Haw from 670 to Score, along with Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune who covers the Bears. He's at Hallis Hall. Dan, this has been a week of regrouping and preparing and getting ready for a big challenge on Sunday in Minneapolis. The Vikings, they're very good. They're three and one. The Bears, two and two and reeling a bit. David, I'm
0: a big believer in vibe, right, in a building. And it's one of the things that you can get from being around every day. And the word you used a minute ago is very telling, regrouping. I think it has felt like a regrouping week here at Hallis Hall. And uh, in some ways, that's a good thing. In other ways, it's the first time that this team has been shaken a little bit, in my opinion. And now they've got to figure out what to do with being shaken. And and, and so now it's up, uh, up to them to respond in a division game on the road against a, an opponent that's beatable, but that is certainly going to challenge them in in a lot of significant areas to be at their best to pull off an upset, right? And so uh, the Bears have to figure out what to do with this. They're going to go into this game without one of their captains, and Cody Whitehair, who has been placed on injured reserve since you and I last talked. Uh, they look like they're going to be going into this game without Jalen Johnson, who still has not returned to practice with the quadriceps injury. And so now you've got a lot of things stacked against you uh, with an already thin deck, I guess, and, and, and we'll see how they respond.
1: So let's set the table for what we're going to do today. We're going to look ahead at the challenge for the Bears Uh, Sunday against the Vikings in Minneapolis at U.S. Bank Stadium. This is the Take the North podcast. You can get it on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You want to download, you want to subscribe, you want to be here all season long because this is a big year in the development of Justin Fields and many other things uh, that they haven't forgotten about as we (laughs) heard from Luke Getzi today, and we'll get into what Luke Getzi had to say. And Dan, I think as we continue to look at Engage the progress of a quarterback there's some other things going on let's start with some of the details you mentioned Jalen Johnson mispractice again his quad is maybe more than day-to-day that Matt Eberflus has described it as you look at him as maybe being unlikely tough week to miss with Justin Jefferson on the other side but Bears offensively got a little bit of good news I felt like it was encouraging David Montgomery Limited, he returned to the practice field.
0: He did, and we had an opportunity to speak with him after practice. He said he felt encouraged. Anytime he gets a chance to practice with his guys, he feels encouraged. Certainly the way that injury appeared when it occurred against the Texans led you to believe, uh-oh, you know, this looked pretty bad. Let's see how quickly he can respond to it. Uh, to David's credit, he's, he's back fairly quickly. I think they want to see how this thing responds in the next couple of days before they make a decision. He may be one of those kind of Sunday morning, uh, put it through the, uh, the paces on the field on Sunday morning and make a decision there but at the very least it's trending in the right direction and David feels good about it and that's good news for the Bears
1: let's look at that secondary situation without Jalen Johnson because I think yes there's one thing to face a team without your best cornerback and it's the Texans and it's the Giants and they have no passing game to speak of it's quite another to face the weapons that the Vikings present in Justin Jefferson (laughs) Adam Thielen and Kirk Cousins throwing them the football who will try to fill in for Jalen Johnson will it still be Jalen Jones and who yeah. does that put the burden of chasing Justin Jefferson around on
0: yeah listen you're still going to have your your cornerback trio of of Jalen Jones Kendall Vildor and Kyler Gordon and then you're going to have to use safety help from Eddie Jackson and Jaquan Brisker to to account for this passing attack now listen we heard from Alan Williams on Thursday afternoon and it was almost like he was playing some reverse psychology with the Vikings knowing how dangerous Justin Jefferson is look this is probably the most balanced offensive Bears have faced since the season began with a team that can hurt you through the air and on the ground. And so there were a lot of questions predictably about how do you contain Justin Jefferson? And Alan Williams was saying, listen, the Vikings have our stat sheet. They understand that we struggle to stop the run. And so until further notice, they're probably going to run it down our throats. And I don't know if that was just kind of a, hey, you know what, please try to run it at us because we don't want to have to account for for Justin Jefferson with, with the secondary we have or if it's just a, an honest acknowledgement of, oh boy, uh, we know what our weaknesses are and we know what teams are going to attack. Either way, it's not an ideal situation for a reeling Bears defense to go up against an offense that can test them.
1: I looked it up this morning during the Mullen Haas show, Dalvin Cook's career high, 206 rushing yards. That's in jeopardy of being a cliff Sunday uh, against the Bears because they're giving up 183 on average, and they have given up more in the past couple of weeks. So this is an opportunity for the Viking offense to build some momentum and to continue to grow. All right, let's look at the offensive line for the Bears because that's a mess as well. Uh Lucas Patrick played everywhere uh, during practice, according to Luke Getze. We heard about Cody Whitehair. He'll be out for at least four games. Dan, when you look at what Sam Mustafer has done or at least the game that he struggled through last week, he would be to me most likely guy of being replaced at the same time i don't know what else you do in terms of depth what do you expect on the offensive line sunday against the vikings educated
0: guest says it looks exactly as it did when the game ended in new jersey on sunday afternoon lucas patrick as your left guard sam Mustafer as still as your starting center and tevin jenkins at right guard uh they're gonna have to find some answers to the interior of this offensive line quickly because you need to give and we'll get into this more later in the show Justin something to trust, right? And a, and a quarterback who's trying to develop pocket presence and pocket poise has to trust that his pocket is going to be clean more often than it's not. And so they've got to figure out answers there. They've got to do it uh, quickly. And and on, on Sunday, they're going to face a three, four defense led by former Bears assistant coach, Ed Donatel, uh, who's going to, to to play some of that bend, don't break style with with a lot of, you know, too high safety. You put the shell on the top of the defense and and you try to get the Bears to, to dink and dunk their way down the field. and and hopefully they make a mistake somewhere in there. And so along with kind of trying to uh, keep the pocket clean, the Bears are going to have to retain patience and and understand that this is going to have to be a methodical, grindy-type game for them to to, to do the things they want to do offensively.
1: I like the symmetry. We have Ed Donatel, the former Bears assistant, uh, being the defensive coordinator of the Vikings. And you have Alan Williams, the former Viking assistant, being the defensive coordinator of the Bears. Two guys very familiar with the other franchises, very much on the spot Sunday. Okay, the last little detail to address before we move on to other things. Uh, When you look at the wide receiving core for the Bears, N.K.L. Harry, activated this week he has four weeks to become part of the mix in terms of being part of that receiver court do you think that he will be up on Sunday because he's a big target that can help a, a struggling quarterback, maybe because he's just a, a wider catch radius, but what do you expect out of Enkeel Harry on Sunday?
0: Yeah, I don't expect him to be active on Sunday. I think, look, this guy's missed two plus months of practice. He's coming off of ankle surgery. It's not just a, a, an ankle sprain, and so I think both physically and mentally, the Bears are trying to get a better barometer of where he's at. Is he moving around uh, with the fluidity that they want? Is he capable of establishing timing, right, and and, and understanding what his roles are within an offensive system that he hasn't had a chance to practice in for for, for a long, long time since the very early parts of training camp. Uh, so I wouldn't expect him this week. It's obviously good that he's back at practice. I would expect, and this comes uh, from inside the building here, some offensive reps for valus jones right Who's nice. another guy who's coming back off of a long uh injury and, and obviously only played on special teams against the giants and so you you'd think a handful of offensive snaps for valus they understand that this is this guy was drafted on day two because of his explosion right and now you've got to tap into that explosion if it's a a jet sweep if it's a, a bubble screen something get the ball in his hands and see if he can give you some of that explosiveness that the offense sorely lacked
1: let him do that silly play the Packers ran where he runs Justin behind the center. They flip him the ball. It goes down as a completion, and he yeah. runs for 15, 20 yards. You give Justin Fields a little bit of confidence. You pad his stats, and maybe Velas Jones can get going.
0: Yeah, I mean, I listen. I, like, I, I'm all for that kind of stuff at this point, right? There, there is a, a confidence game that needs to be played with multiple players uh, on the Bears' offense, and, and you've got to be conscious of that as a coaching staff to try to get some of the mental momentum building, so that the physical success can can sustain itself. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations as you know baseball's been my life it's been in the family for a long time but it's a lot more than that here it's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts
1: All right, let's start our opening drive. It's time for the opening opening drive. All right, Dan, so it's got to be about the quarterback. (laughs) It's always about the quarterback, especially when you have a quarterback who's getting as much attention and scrutiny as Justin Fields. I think that the way that it was best described, and it was you today, and you sort of referred to the shouting matches on again, and it feels like the extremism has returned if it ever left at all. In the context of a quarterback that has completed 34 passes and mid sacked 16 times, I fear that it's going into two different camps. One is that the Bears are totally negligent and fully responsible for stunning his growth by not giving him an offensive line to protect him or receivers to throw to. And then I fear there are those that believe that, you know what, he just hasn't done the basics and he can't even complete a short pass, so it's more on him than it is anything else, when in fact – I would believe and offer that some of the f- former is true. Some of the latter is true. And the truth as it often can be found is right in the middle in that gray area. Well, I've had
0: some moments this week that caused me to ask a question that we can sort of flush out here on the program. It's is Chicago ready for the next three months, right? Like the first month hasn't gone well, right? It's, it's been a, a, an uneven uh, performance from the second year quarterback, Justin Fields. It's been uh, an outcry uh, of supporters trying to overshout the the detractors who are trying to overshout the other supporters who are trying to overshot the detractors and and look like we lived this with Mitch Trubisky. We lived it with Jay Cutler. You rewind all the way back to Rex Grossman, at least when we were talking about good Rex and bad Rex, there were actually good games on Rex's resume to say, that's good Rex. We haven't had that from Justin, right? Like we, we, we haven't gotten there. And so his supporters are digging in uh, on, on a foundation that isn't there. Right. And, and then the detractors feel momentum. They go after him to your point internally here at house hall inside this building they understand that there are 13 more games left in the season ideally justin starts all 13 of them they make progress along the way there are flashes of brilliance that offset some of these slump you know extended stretches of 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 failure and you get somewhere closer to uh, a, a middle ground here but i don't know aside from justin whether our audience, whether Chicago Bears fan base, has enough left in their sort of emotional fuel tank to, to get to the end of this.
1: I've wondered the same thing, and I don't think that they feel like they're rationing any sort of perspective. That's the thing is that You know, when we look at this as kind of in our roles as we're not fans, we are the unfan. We're trying to be objective and rational and take the long view of this. When when I think that, you know, that's our responsibility, I feel like, to provide context on a weekly basis. It can be, you know, frustrating for people to hear, well, you know, after four games, you don't want to conclude anything. And criticizing is not, you know, concluding. And I think you have to always remind people of that because it sounds somewhat redundant. As a fan, you can react however you want to. You can be however irrational you choose. But I think what we're trying to reinforce is that it will take more time. And and to that end, Dan, I, I think that I think that what we heard on Thursday from Luke Getzey, the offensive coordinator, which is I, what, a lot of people will look at what he said and they'll look they'll read the headline or they'll read the quotes in a story, and maybe not hear the way that he said it. I just feel like when he talked about he tried to say it wasn't a bad month for Justin Fields, <laughs> I, I know what he was trying to do, but let's listen to Luke Getze when he was asked about, uh, and the question included the the f- framing of putting it, this has been a bad month for Justin Fields, and this is the way Luke Getze responded.
2: I don't think he's had a rough month. I think he's, I think he's gotten better each week. Um, I think he's growing tremendously, and uh, – you know, it's not easy. We're playing good football teams, and uh, it's not easy to become, you know, the level quarterback that he wants to become. And I know that he can uh, he can become. And and so we're. And the important thing is that we stay focused. We stay. Uh, we keep our eyes on that progress or on that process, and we make sure we get better each and every week. And and I be, and I believe that we we're we're in the in that phase.
1: You were there, Dan. What was your reaction, and how did you process what Lugetti said there?
2: So. I
0: think that the offensive coordinator was trying to offer a public vote of support for his quarterback, right? And 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 to to maybe project something that, that he doesn't fully believe, right? I don't think there's anyone in the NFL that would look at what happened with this Bears offense in the month of September and the first weekend of October and say that wasn't a rough month. I mean, Justin is 32nd in the league in completion percentage. He's 32nd in completions. He's 32nd in passing yards. He's 32nd in passer rating. By any statistical measure, that qualifies as rough. And it's also rough with the way it is looked. Now, I think some of Luke's points were that there there are a lot of things around Justin that are creating some of the the inefficiencies in the offense. And and we've detailed it here that there are problems with the receiving core, there are problems with the offensive line, there are sometimes problems with with offensive approach in, in various areas of the field and various parts of the game. And so there is a bigger picture here. I would just say that that you have to be very careful at this stage of projecting too much of that, right? Stuff that, that people will see as either disingenuous or flawed, right? And and, and so that particular soundbite is the type of thing that's going to get traction and it's going to get legs. Now, I will say this, David, Luke in, in his uh, press conference today was openly critical of several Decisions Justin made. He was openly critical of several throws Justin made. He was openly critical of a a run that he made where he ran, as we talked about on on our previous episode, right into a defender when he had room to the outside to to gain more yards. And so um, that helped kind of balance what he said about it not being a rough month. But I I think people are going to cling to that. How can you say it's not a rough month? What are your eyes seeing? And what do we do with this?
1: And I think he also. Uh, you were there, and I watched it. He he corrected somebody, or he interjected when they asked him about Justin Fields only completing fifty percent of his plays. <laughs> he said, "Well, it should have been less than that because there's six to eight plays <laughs> where he should have thrown the ball away and took a you know, it, and and That's took it. a sack." Yeah. So I I don't just view the totality of the way he has approached this as any coach in denial. I, I looked at it a different way, maybe, and, and I don't want to sound like Luke Getze's apologist, but but I think that he is taking the long view because he has to. He's saying things that he knows he has to show support where other people have quickly abandoned Justin Fields, which is within their right as a fan, which is within their you know, job description as a commentator, columnist, analyst, or talk show host, whatever the case. I don't think Luke Getze can be that guy, and I think today was an example of of that he won't be that guy. And I would liken it to this. When you're talking about, you know, to stay with the whole idea, Luke Getze, your honeymoon is over. (laughs) That ended in Green Bay, right? But he is wedded to the idea that Justin Fields is going to be the franchise quarterback. He is married to that concept. The rest of us are just dating the idea. We're trying it out. We're seeing other people. We're like, okay, we're not committed to having to be Justin Fields' Or, or Bust, or Justin Fields, or, you know, that he has right. to work out. Luke Getze, to him, you've got to do whatever you can as, as his coach, as his mentor, as his support system to say, you know what? We're going to tell you privately you're struggling. Publicly, I've got your back. And this right. is an example of that because I am going to do whatever it takes to make this work.
0: Well, the other part of this that I think was notable, and Luke acknowledged this on Thursday afternoon, is that is that the outside world looks at this through a different lens, right? And, and everyone in the outside world right now is trying to answer, is Justin the guy? Is Justin the guy? Is he going to be the guy long-term? And internally, Luke is saying, what we're, we're focused on is how can we help him get to a spot in Week 18 this year that has shown that he has grown, that he has developed, that he has made progress in many key areas of playing quarterback in the NFL. And so they can't feel that outside noise and that outside pressure. Listen, there's got to be an urgency here to enliven this passing game. Everyone would agree with that. But I always talk about that, you know, Kiefer Sutherland 24 o'clock, right, where you hear the beeping of every second until the bomb explodes, right? And they cannot have Justin Fields feeling like his career bomb is ticking loudly in his head and that if he doesn't, you know, turn it around in week five of, of year two in 2002. 22 that that it you know that's now the 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 beep is a little bit louder and more shrill and next week it 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 explodes right and so there is something here to soothing the 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 nerves i guess and the the anxiety and the frustration of justin fields that 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 the coaching staff has to do you don't want to do a lot of that because you want to be able to coach football right and then you want to be able to get to the nitty-gritty of what it takes to play quarterback in this league right now they're trying to get through a a rough patch here and, and and having to balance you know x's and o's with with some psychological tweaking as well
1: and i think he's also got to remember that beyond the quarterback as important as that task is as much of a priority As it remains, there are other priorities. There are other interests. There are other players that were drafted whose development matters because the more improvement you see from Braxton Jones, the more improvement you see from Larry Borum, your offensive line, your tight end, your receiving core, whoever the case, that your quarterback is going to improve along the way. So I found it interesting when Luke Getzey was asked about another question about Justin Fields, and he came back and he sounded this way.
2: We have a lot more than just evaluating Justin Fields going on right now. And I think that's easy for, you know, that's what everybody wants to evaluate the quarterback all the time, right? And I get it. It's all good. So this is a process for for all 11. And so there's so many factors going into what's going on around Justin to just sit here and say, oh, we're only focused on, is this guy going to be the guy or not? That's literally not even on my mind, or I don't think it's on anybody's mind in this building. We're just in this process of getting better, right? How can we get each guy in this building to get better each and every week. And as long as we continue to get better, then we're going in the right direction, and and, and we believe that.
1: See, I thought that was a good answer, Dan. I don't know what you thought of it, but I thought that, again, to me that was a very football commonsensical response to a question that he knew was coming.
0: Process-oriented, right? Luke yeah, is process-oriented, exactly. and he wants to stay there. Uh, you know, I'm going to throw something else at you because I think it's worth bringing up in this discussion, and it's it's Matt Eberflus's role in all this, right? Like, we're, we have spent a lot of time right now talking about Luke Getze and Justin Fields, and, and Matt Eberflus is the head coach here. We just came off of four seasons where we knew that the head coach of the football team was heavily involved in the offense and heavily involved in trying to create quarterback success and ultimately didn't succeed at doing so and lost his job. That's Matt Nagy with Mitch Trubisky and all the other guys that he tried in that role. Uh, what's interesting here is 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 Matt because he's from a defensive minded background has almost been been sort of stiff armed to the side of these conversations, right? And and no one's talking about his role in these, and, and he's he's never had the experience for obvious reasons of having to develop a quarterback. And so now I think that that, that as we look big picture with some of this, we have to say, boy, what what is Matt contributing? to this right and, and how can he assist with that
1: I, I know why you'd ask that I think the word you might be looking for is absolved I mean we have someone <laughs> absolved him of any responsibility here but at the same time I, I don't want to do that because I think that might be you know careless and you don't need to do that because he is a head coach but I also then on the other hand how often do you blame Andy Reed for the bad Chiefs defense how often do you complain about the Colts defense and then say it's Frank Reich's fault I think that in the NFL, you have all kinds of examples where guys come to these big jobs and they come from one side of the ball and they hire the assistant head coach slash offense or the CEO slash offense, however you want to describe it. And not that it absolves them of responsibility, but we kind of know what's going on. I mean, Matt Eberflus has the decisions of Do I punt and pin and fourth down with three minutes to go? Do I, you know, how do I play complimentary football? What decisions do I make? But I don't know that I hold him as responsible for Justin Fields' development as I do Luke Getzey or Andrew Janoco or, frankly, Ryan Poles for giving him the talent surrounding him to get the most out of this quarterback.
0: Well, I would just say that that when you make a decision, right, like the Bears did in January to go with a defensive minded coach and you have a quarterback in his second year at a pivotal stage of his development and a guy that you pushed a lot of chips into the middle of the table to jump up and draft, that that y- y- you better have something from your head coach that can help bring that along. And then that, I would just put that in the back of your head for the next 14 weeks because we're going to have a lot of time to talk about it.
1: I, I think you're right. And But then, then then the, not that it's a problem in going that direction, but what, what, I, what I foresee, because I just think we've been here a long time, you know what's going to happen then. The question will then go back to not what is he not doing to get the most out of Justin Fields. The question will be what in the heck is he doing here in the first place? <laughs> Why would you hire a defensive-minded head coach when you had a quarterback you needed to develop because you needed to get this right and you couldn't get this wrong? And look, you're wrong again. So, as a franchise, the skepticism that may have been suspended temporarily would be back with a vengeance.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it, this is why I say that that we're we're sort of in this this um, I don't want to say tunnel visioned, but but singularly focused world here right now with the 2022 Bears because there's so little happening outside of the quarterback position that is right. interesting, notable, or important, right? <laughs> well, and so and, and so, the entire conversation is revolving around this on a daily and weekly basis, and it's something the Bears have to juggle as they go through it. Can I tie up one loose end for you? Yes. Um, on, we talked so at length about the four verticals play in our last podcast episode, the play that Justin didn't see Mooney open for a touchdown, ultimately took off and ran for a run. I wrote about that in my quarterback review uh, at chicagotribune.com, and we've had more input the last few days from Fields himself, you <laughs> From Luke Getze, from Andrew Janoco, and so there's there's a little bit more nuance to this. I, I you know I'm not going to let Justin off the hook on that play. I'm going to cut him a little more slack than I did in our Monday episode and in my quarterback review, in just saying that. Listen, the Bears had coached something all week in terms of either take the checkdown or run. If you see that coverage against that specific play, and so in, in some ways he he used good instincts on a third down play. He made sure he got a first down. He saw a wide avenue. Luke Getze said on Thursday afternoon. If actually if he if he runs the ball better and takes a better angle to the outside and avoids the defender that might be a first down inside the five yard line and now we're knocking on the door of the goal line and we're all talking about this play as a a huge play that set up a potential touchdown rather than a a missed touchdown right and so there's a little bit to this and then the, the nuance is also that listen like justin right now is thinking a lot and he's playing in a way where where the wheels are turning too much where he doesn't have have the Freedom of mind, I guess, or the uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but the free headspace to see that receiver who's open down the field like you would on a playground when a play wasn't called and you just let it loose. And, and Andrew Janoco said Thursday evening, look, you've got to be able to listen to your feet, but even when you're listening to your feet and you're doing all the right things that we've coached you process-wise, eventually experience has got to tell you, get my eyes up. Oh, my God, that guy is not covered. He's near the goal line, and I can just rip a shot here, and we score six points. And so Justin's got to hit that. Uh, there's a little bit more to it than, than the last time we discussed this play on, on Monday evening.
1: He just looks too uncomfortable. Mechanical, right? To unleash. Right? That kind of athleticism. And I think that's part of the part of the issue. Okay, before we get to where we are on the development meter and move on (laughs) um, in in, in the light of everything we just said, if you had to talk about a reasonable bar for Justin Fields (laughs) to clear and last week I somewhat mock you. Can can I can I read this to the audience? Because I think it's good. And
0: and and you mocked me, but like it was it was justifiable mocking. I tweeted this as part of the the kind of thoughts before the Bears game that I had on Sunday. And I said, back to Fields for a moment. What about a day today with 14 completions, 170 passing yards, and a TD? Would you sign up for that production and label it as encouraging? quick reply from my my good buddy David Hahn on the Take the North podcast and he said don't trip over that low bar and I laughed out loud because you're absolutely right it is an incredibly low bar and it was part of the reason I asked the question is because things have been so so bad in terms of the passing game production in the first month of the season that, that, that a stat line like that was, was sort of like okay let's try to get here okay can we just try to get to this weird level of mediocrity and then we'll celebrate that as encouraging and guess what he didn't get to 14 completions he did get to 170 passing yards. He didn't throw a touchdown, so he failed on two of those three low bar goals that I set for him. And so now, what do we do, David? Where do we set the bar for Week Five?
1: Well, just so you know, we are all snipers on social media, <laughs> one time or another. <laughs> so uh, I know, like
0: it. A I, that, that's, that's a good shot from you.
1: I, I think the bar has got to be low, though, and I think that part of Luke Getz's rhetoric on Thursday reflected that. And that's not that's not really settling, that's not doing anything but being realistic. And I think realistically, you've got to crawl before you walk, walk before you run. And I think that right now you're at the, okay, let's take that next step. And it it involves, I think, you know, 14 completions against this Vikings team, 170 passing yards for a guy that has, you know, 34 passes completed in, in four games and is the lowest rated quarterback in the NFL. That would be legitimate progress and not the kind of manufactured kind that we've been talking about in Chicago all week.
0: Well, and also this, right? Like Justin hits the 56 yarder to Darnell Mooney and everyone sits on the edge of their couch and says, that's it, right? That's really cool to watch. Well, let's, let's, I'm not asking for 56 yards, two or three times a game, but let's have three or four plays at the end of a game where we can ask Justin for more detail on play X, Y, Z, you know, what what about your second touchdown pass, right? Like let's get to that level where those conversations can occur and maybe the tone of everything will will loosen up a little bit. Obviously it starts with producing those moments on the field so that the outside world has something else to talk about other than these numbers that are, that are so staggeringly low.
1: Speaking of tone, have to address this before we move on to our next category at the podium, he was again reticent this week. He was very reluctant to share many details. It seemed like a guy that wanted to be anywhere else, but explaining why he's playing so poorly. Cause effect. What what effect did you? What reaction did you have to that? I, I think that before you answer, I'll, I'll say this: People have speculated. Well, you know that shows how little confidence he has and and how much it suffered. I don't believe that necessarily. I think that he has not lost confidence. It's not about confidence. It's about tolerance. Right. I don't That's think he it. wants to be there. I don't That's think he right. wants to subject himself to the kind of questions from people that can't understand in his mind what he's going through and how big and, and enormous the challenge really is. And I well, just think that is more of a reflection of a 23-year-old that is like, why are, why are, are you guys and everybody else picking on me because you don't know what I'm dealing with.
0: I'm with you on that. I I, I would use the word agitation, right? And tolerance is a good word as well. And it's something that has to improve because this is part of the role. I mean, we've talked about it more than once and it's 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 probably a shame that we've had to address this multiple times because it's really easy. I mean, that that news conference on Wednesday afternoon was five minutes. It's not hard to, 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 to get in a, a, a upbeat mood for five minutes, even if it's a, a little bit false, right? Like just, to, just to, to wall off the critics for a little bit, don't give them red meat to jump on, right? And so so Justin's got to learn that and somebody's got to help him with that and understanding, look, man, like it will do you no good to get up here and be curt and to be agitated and to show uh, sort of slumped in your seat frustration outwardly. It's just, it's not going to help anything. And so you got to just, you know, for six minutes, lock in, right? Lock in and, and, and get up there and sit up tall and tell a joke and, and do some different things. You know, I, I don't know. Again, it, this comes back to play on the field. And as soon as the play on the field allows an opening for other questions to be asked. I think some of this will naturally lighten. So step one, go out and make some plays Sunday against the Vikings. Give the, the rest of the world other things to talk about, and then the conversation will be a little bit more comfortable.
1: So in light of that conversation on Wednesday in front of reporters, in light of the performance on Sunday against the Giants, our Justin Fields development meter stands at concerned. I think we can agree that it stands concerned didn't really move the needle much this week Dan do you agree with where that currently stands
0: I do needle shook a little bit right like it shook yep. toward, toward toward worried a little bit more yep. uh but i you know like we're going to have some evidence here in the next few weeks with a, a a couple unorthodox weeks right like the bears are going after after minneapolis they go into a short week against the commanders followed by a super long week before they play on monday night in foxborough so there's going to be some different challenges that will uh, will test justin a little bit more as well as this entire football team
1: Fine work on the meter there, Adam Studzinski, our ace uh, producer. We'll hear more from studs when we get to our predictions in the next segment. The numbers game. Okay, Dan, every week, look forward to this, ChicagoTribune.com. You have a package of numbers that are relevant to the game plan, to what will happen on Sunday. And we're going to hit on a couple of those now. Where do you want to start? Because I think that you could go a lot of different directions. A couple stood out to me this morning when it was published. Yeah,
0: so I've got four for you. Two of them are going to be linked. The first one is just you don't even need to comment on it. It's just going to be a weekly update until it gets somewhere. It's 0.77, and that's the number of completions per possession by the Bears offense through the first four games of the season. I'm going to bring this up every week on the show until it gets north of 1.0, right? Like this is going to become the staple until the Bears average more than a completion oh. per possession. So we we don't even need to go any more into that because it is what it is. All right. Now moving on to the paired numbers, I'm going to give you this 15, 291, two. That is the catches receiving yards and touchdown total of the entire bears receiving core. Oh my god, 15, 291 and two. And now we're going to compare that with 28, 393 and two. That is the catches receiving yards, total and touchdown total. Of Justin Jefferson of the Vikings, one man, facing the Bears in the entire category.
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay, so this brings up my meatball question of the week. I'll use it now because there's many that I could choose from. Does this mean that the Bears should be looking at veteran wide receivers that might have been cast aside on the waiver wire? Tavon Austin, I know OBJ's out there, the rumors, the Packers or the Giants. Is there anybody else out there that can come in? I know Nikhil Harry is healthy, but he's not going to play likely on Sunday. Is there anybody out there to offer any help?
0: I promise you, Odell Beckham Jr. is going to find a team that's got a chance to play deep I, I, in the I, January. I, know. I, know. I just, yeah. want, I know you said it was a meatball question, so the yeah. meatball fans can get their Parmesan cheese and put <laughs> that question to the side. Okay, uh, you know, look, like I, I'm all for exploring any option you can you can look at. Right, Byron Pringle's on injured reserve. Uh, Valus Jones has been hurt. Nikhil Harry's been hurt. Like you, you don't have the luxury right now of being selective or picky. Uh, you just need to have mutual interest from from somebody that wants to come join an offense that's struggling like this. You know, you think back to, to to I guess it was was it Trubisky's rookie year where they had that receiving core where I think Kendall Wright and Dontrell Inman were their top two targets, oh, right? No, and, I just got a flashback, right? Yeah, and it, and it's painful, and that's kind of what we're looking at in a, a different version here. Uh, look, they they they've just got to find ways to get things going. And Darnell Mooney had a, a, an uptick in production in week four. They needed to uptick a couple more times, uh, and so let's see let's see what they can do there. Uh, but man, like the other part of that is is Justin Jefferson is really damn good, David, and and. And since 2020, Justin Jefferson has the most receiving yards of any receiver in the NFL, and so they've got their hands full trying to defend him this weekend.
1: Where have you gone, Josh Bellamy? Um, <laughs> all right, what's, what's another number that we need to look out for?
0: All right, here's one more, and it's just a rando. It's a uh, 2006, and it is the last time that the Bears played the Vikings in Minnesota before Thanksgiving. My entire time on the Vikings beat, my entire time on the Bears beat, these games have been either on November 30th or in December or into January. So it's always been a a really cold weather trip up to Minneapolis. The Bears go up there. The last time, David, you might have been in attendance of this game, probably were, that they played in Minneapolis at the Metrodome Uh, before Thanksgiving.
1: I remember it too well. That Week was three, the Grossman gets injured. Game.
0: No, Are no, no. Know? That no, that wasn't the Grossman one. Two thousand six, Grossman throws a game-winning touchdown pass in the final two minutes to Rashid Davis.
1: That's it. Yes. Okay. Nineteen
0: sixteen win that that put the put the Bears. Uh, you know, I think they were three and zero at that point, and they they continued rolling. Obviously, that's the Super Bowl season. So good vibes last time.
1: Didn't Rex get injured there? One of those times. He did.
0: He did. He got in his season opener one year. Uh, that might uh, would probably 2004 four. I,
1: I, there was maybe an four. image i have of rex on a golf cart down in the uh, bowels of the Old Metrodome, and I remember that well. But I also remember the Rashid Davis game in 06. That was a long time ago because then you got used to going to Minneapolis for the holiday. <laughs> you had to bundle up, and it was a great trip because you could go to the mall, get your shopping done, and get back, and it's always a fun time. No sales so,
0: tax on clothes at the Mall of America. Bingo. There you
1: go. <laughs> it's such a big bonus. All right, you know what the number is that you introduced and it's on your list, and I, I credited you on the Mullen Haw show, but I was also using it and getting a lot of mileage out of it. 36 possessions since the last touchdown pass. Yeah. 36 possessions since the last Bears Touchdown pass way back to equanimity of St. Brown when we broke down how great the play action. That's pass right. Was. That's
0: what I'm saying. Right? We were I'm breaking sure. it down in 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 detail, and we haven't had anything since. David. The crazy part about that is remember it was like the the reasoning was like the Bears' passing attack was was stalled because they played in the monsoon. And guess what? The game in the monsoon is the only game in which they've thrown a touchdown pass. Right? Oh, <laughs> they, they they threw two yeah. of them. So like, yeah. yeah. At some point, this 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 slump has got to break, and, and we've got to have something else to talk about.
1: Any other good numbers? Any anyone else you want to throw out there before we get to predictions?
0: No, that's it. And okay. uh, yeah, the predictions I have a feeling are going to be one sided this week. But you guys can tell me, and I know Studs, even even our even our Homer Studs is going to have to to, to let us know if uh, if he can find faith in his beloved. Well, Bears. let's
1: bring in Adam Studzinski, our ace producer, and also who is unselfish there with the shades. His future is so bright; he's got to wear <laughs> those shades. Um, I think that Studs is very unselfish as well. Kevin Lapka helped out with the Justin Fields graphic, and he deserves as much credit as Adam Studzinski. I gave Adam the credit. Kevin Lapka (laughs) deserves some too, and that comes straight from Adam. So Adam, we want to know who do you predict will win Sunday at the best, I think, best stadium, Dan. I haven't been to SoFi, the best stadium I've been to at US Bank uh, Field in Minneapolis. Oh, you guys clearly haven't been to Youngstown, Ohio. Youngstown State <laughs> Stadium is pretty great. <laughs> they call it the, the 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 Ice Castle or something. Yeah, it doesn't matter. A lot of I spent a lot of time covering uh, Missouri Valley football. In case you guys didn't notice, but anyway, <laughs> I uh, like I. You guys know I'm a homer. You guys know I love the Bears. I can't I can't in good conscience pick them to win this game. They're just not the better team. I hate saying that Kirk Cousins is the is the. The, a Kirk Cousins-led team is the better team, but they just are. The
2: offense to be too much for them. So I got the Vikings 27-17, to 17, and hopefully we just see some some progress from Justin Fields because I, I just can't see them winning the game.
1: Okay, Adam Szynski in the books, 27-17. Uh, Dan, I think this could be a rough day for justin fields i think it could be a rough day for the bears and i think the concern that the vikings will be jet-lagged because they played in london last week and the fact that uh teams coming back from london who don't have a bye week and play immediately the sunday after are two and three means absolutely nothing (laughs) against this chicago bears defense that way they'll be able to run the ball against and this this Minnesota Viking offense, which I think is going to do whatever it wants. And I think offensively for the Bears, they're going to struggle. This could be a real difficult uh, excursion for Justin Fields. And I'm not sure that uh, if he thought last week was bad, this could be worse. I'm not sure how they're going to score a touchdown, but I think they'll score one. I think they might score some field goals with Cairo Santos back, Michael Badgley, signed by the Lions, by the way. Um, But I've got 31-16 Vikings over Bears.
0: Similar margin for me, different score. I filed my prediction for ChicagoTribune.com as Vikings 27, Bears 13. Just to make sure that I wasn't missing something, I reached out to a couple of my uh, writing counterparts in the Twin Cities to ask them how the Vikings would lose this game. I'm going to read you a couple samplings anonymously from these folks in Minnesota about how the Vikings could possibly trip up at home against the Bears. Here's the first one. It says, Cousins throws a couple bad picks and the defense, which has been run on a few times already this year, can't keep the Bears from making things easier for Justin Fields. So that's one of them. The other one says that the Vikings defense sits back in a passive zone shell and lets the Bears run the ball and helps Fields gain confidence. Donatel has been really soft, but as poor as the Bears are throwing the ball, the Vikings should easily win this one at home. So there's some intel from from the Twin Cities. Uh, it didn't make me shorten the margin of victory because I was like, man, it's hard to pick a team to lose by two scores in this league. Uh, that's where I'm staying. And you, it sounds like you're right there with me.
1: Yeah, I think it's just going to be a tall order, and I don't think the Bears are ready for that. And I think the Vikings are, you know, better than most teams or have first-year head coaches and first-year GMs uh, tend to be, and they are three and one on the verge of becoming four and one. Let's get to our two-minute drill. All right, Dan. So there's some thoughts I want to wrap up, but I think that this is an interesting uh, matchup. But uh, you go first because I, I want to ask you about what I just alluded to. The fact that you have two, two teams that are in similar situations, but this isn't Bears versus Giants. These aren't mirror images at all. And I think there are differences that I'd like to ask you about knowing your uh, background with both uh, franchises, but um, there are also some things you wanted to get to.
0: Well, yeah, f- the first thing that, that, I, that I'm going to throw out here uh, is is just some stuff that we heard from Alan Williams on Thursday afternoon about the run defense. Right, we've noted how historically bad it's been out of the gates, and and he, he said, look, there's been a number of different reasons for this. There's been there's been guys that have been slow to fit. There's been poor tackling at times. There's been poor eye discipline. But one of the things that he stressed is that there has been a a overabundance of errors in which guys are trying to make plays that aren't theirs. Right, almost. Over- overcompensating and not trusting the guy beside them to go ahead and, and do his job and make those plays. And when you do those types of things, now suddenly you turn a short gain into a big gain and things become problematic. And so it sounded like Alan Williams was, was hell bent on getting some of these, his defenders uh, on defense to, to understand how to just, do your job, right? To to talk about the old Tom Thibodeau soundbite, right? Like, just make sure you do your thing and don't try to do too much. And maybe you can keep uh, the Vikings from running it down their throat, in his words. And and, and let's see what they can do with that, because that's going to be a big deal, as we mentioned.
1: So Kevin O'Connell, he comes in as a new head coach. Quasi Adolfo Mensa is the general manager. And This isn't Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus taking over a rebuilding project that has got a bunch of, uh, you know, I guess excess uh, fat on the on the salary cap and the payroll, uh, a roster that needs overhauled. It was remarkable to me to look at a little bit closer. The Vikings' offense, I think, has one new starter from last year. You know, they're they're, they have eighty percent of their production back on, on offense, and this is just essentially an upgrade in the approach offensively, a little bit more innovation, a little bit different um, play calling, a little bit different schematically playing to Kirk Cousins' strengths. Front office-wise, there hasn't been the extent of roster turnover that you saw in Chicago. So I guess, Dan, knowing how the Bears have approached this, knowing what the Vikings are doing, and frankly, doing very well. What similarities or difference and differences do you see? And is there anything that the Vikings have done that the Bears could actually maybe learn from?
0: Yeah, draft Justin Jefferson, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, have somebody that, that that has that type of game-breaking ability that can change games in a heartbeat, and that's just the difference right now with the Vikings roster versus the Bears one. There's just there's just more game changers. I'm going to give you another one before we sign off on this program to, to, to keep an eye on on Sunday afternoon. But, uh, look, I, I just think that, that Kevin O'Connell and, and Kwezia Dovomensa inherited more, and, and they're, they're more comfortable with their ability to try to compete a little bit now, whereas the Bears made the decision – And justifiably so, to take a longer view and tear it down to the studs and and try to build from the ground up. And so, uh, two very different places after a a full reboot in in both organizations.
1: Yeah. And I think that when you look at uh, the, the talent on hand, there was, it was just, and maybe there was more, you know, Mike Zimmer fatigue, Chris Spielman getting the, uh, Uh, getting ousted surprised me back when that happened. So I, I wasn't expecting that kind of approach to their front office. And so there was just a more stable situation that both guys walked into. And you do wonder in Ryan Poles' heart of hearts in the back of his mind how he feels because wasn't he one phone call away from becoming a finalist in Minnesota? For didn't, sure. Didn't the Bears prevent him from getting back on that plane and heading north?
0: That is true, yes. And and they made the deal and and, and obviously Ryan Poles is here now trying to do reconstruction. But yeah, that's a, another place where, where Ryan Poles was in demand.
1: And last couple of things. So tidbits around the locker room this week. Eddie Jackson, his resurgence is not something we should overlook. Three picks in four games. Uh, He looks like he's a more willing tackler, as we have said. Matt Iberflues gave him some nice compliments. He's just in the right spot at the right time, and this scheme works for him. Anything else you picked up about why Eddie Jackson is playing at such a high level?
0: Just playing free, and I I think that there – Ability to offer him a clean slate when they got in is as, as cliche as it sounds, revived Eddie. I think that Eddie told us over the summer that when he looked around the locker room and realized that all those, you know, leaders and, and playmakers from the 2018, you know, high-level defense that he was on were gone. And it was now his defense and, and, and no one else's. It was like, okay, you know, this comes with responsibility, this comes with accountability, and I better step my game up. He he put in the work, right? And I think that's one of the things you hear from both teammates and coaches is that Eddie really, really grinded during the spring. In the summer to to do everything that was asked of him, and it's really nice when a guy does those kinds of things, and the results pay off immediately, right? Because then it just feeds into that contagious uh, work ethic, and so Eddie's had that going for him. Now you got to sustain it, right? You got to try to turn three picks into four, into five, into six, and now all of a sudden you've had yourself a, a season that's going to get you invited to a Pro Bowl.
1: If the Bears shock anybody on Sunday, it'll be because their pass rush finally gets uh, revived and Robert Quinn has himself a day under ideal conditions. I don't know if that's realistic, Dan. I think more likely the Viking pass rush is going to be the one that dictates the outcome. Any other tidbits you picked up this week about this game?
0: Yeah, a couple last ones for you. First of all, Andrew Janoco, as you remember, came from Minnesota. So he was Kirk Cousins' quarterback coach in 2021. He was the receivers coach of, of Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen before that. So if there's anybody in this building that can inform the defensive coaching staff on what makes those guys uncomfortable, Junoko's the guy. So his intel should be at least valuable to some extent as they're game planning this week. Darnell Mooney, we talked earlier in the week about some of the errors he's been making mentally, missing assignments, making some mental mistakes. We had a chance to talk to Tyke Tolbert, the receivers coach on Thursday evening, and he was uh, very reassuring about the fact that these are going to become less and less as we go along. The fact that they are asking Darnell to play all three positions in their receiving core, the X, the Z, and the F, and they're actually making making him change from play to play on certain drives and so there's been some confusion in certain instances where Darnell thinks he's playing the Z he's been he's in at the X and it's it's all based on the personnel grouping that's in the game so they've thrown a lot at him because they think he can handle it and Tyke said he's never really had a receiver that they've thrown this much at in terms of the knowing this many different things of this many different positions at receiver and so they're very optimistic that this is going to be a, a short-term headache and that ultimately Darnell will be Darnell so I thought that was interesting because it's something obviously we talked about. Earlier,
1: I got to ask you about Kairos Tonga on the Vikings practice squad. What <laughs> kind of intel can he offer the Vikings?
0: Full-fledged hits principle uh, espionage, right? Like That's, that's, that's it, right? Tyrus Tonga is going to be able to let them know that. There's a, another uh, humorous nugget from out here. I have a reputation. I, I covered the Vikings when Harrison Smith was drafted there in yeah. the first round way back when. <laughs> Domer, this, him, is, this is right? for our Notre Dame audience. I'm yeah. a huge Harrison Smith fan. He's one of him. my favorite players in the league. He's obviously had himself a hell of a career. And I have this reputation of always asking, the offensive coordinators here every year, no matter what it is about Harrison Smith. Well, I got cut off today, David, in the Luke Getze press conference. We ran out of time and I didn't, I wasn't able to ask the question about Harrison Smith to Luke Getze. Quick thinking by me, Alan Williams was Harrison Smith's defensive coordinator, his rookie season in Minnesota. So I got a Harrison Smith question into Alan Williams. He answered it very well and said, there are some guys that the minute they step into the league, you just know they can play. And that Harrison's processing time and and his and his aggressiveness and all these other things have made him into the players he's become. So kudos to me for fighting around a a, a, a shortcoming and, and making the best out of it. That was uh, it, some some off script playmaking that I did in the press conference
1: room. Will that be used in chapter eleven or twelve <laughs> of the biography?
0: Uh, yeah, I, that might be closer to chapter five. It might be higher okay. up, right? All yeah, right. because it details Harrison's really long in the NFL. career.
1: He has been a lot longer and lasted a lot longer, I think, than anybody anticipated. He's been around forever.
0: Well, I remember, David, when they drafted him, there was some consternation in, in Minnesota about, oh, man, he's just too slow. And I remember the front office guys and the personnel staff saying the, 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 the stopwatch time doesn't mean anything when a guy sees things so clearly that he reacts three quarters of a second before everybody else on the field. We've seen that for a decade now with Harrison Smith. And that's something Justin Fields has got to be aware of, bringing this conversation
1: full circle. Didn't you cover Randall Cunningham in Minnesota? Weren't you there that long? I mean, a, I think I did know.
0: not, and and I was not there either for what Brad Biggs uh, brought to my attention this week that this is anniversary seventeen of the Love Boat, David. Yes, so, it is. so that's a whole different podcast episode that we can get to at some point. Maybe the twentieth year anniversary, we can get Fred Smoot and Bryant McKinney on and get some more details of what happened on Lake Minnetonka.
1: And I would expect nothing less than Biggs to remember the Love Boat anniversary. <laughs> All right, that's gonna wrap it up for us here on the take the north podcast episode 17 bears viking sunday at noon in minneapolis you can get us at take the north pod on your free odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast download listen and this is important guys subscribe because we will be here each and every tuesday and friday and on sunday giving you our reaction after the game sunday evening so you want to tune in to us all season long for all things chicago bears for dan Weeder and for adam studzinski our ace producer i'm david haw on the take the north podcast thanks for listening